Um, so today we're going to be going over a brief that was posted on the fyi.uwex.edu financial series website, slash financial series website. Um, it's about a three-page brief that talks about some of the literature in um, youth financial education and then includes a grid of curricula. And so what I'm going to do today is talk a little bit about the literature, but mostly about curricula. And um, I hope that folks who are on the line can help me out. And if you come across um, curricula, uh, or if you, if you work with curricula that I talk about today, that you could uh, chime in and let, let me and everyone else know what your thoughts are in terms of how it's worked for you and, um, you know, to what extent it might be useful for other educators as well. So, uh, any questions before I begin? Well, um, this is a topic that has been of great interest, I know, for extension educators um, across um, different teams. And, um, and some, I know, uh, people in extension have done work with youth through 4-H and, and other kinds of activities, and others have done more uh, focused financial education work um, or work with parents of, of children. And I get this question a lot about, well, what's the best way to do financial education with youth. And um, it's, you know, frankly not an area that I had much background in, and so it's something I've been doing some research around to try to understand better. Um, and in particular, it's, um, you know, helped me to understand the adult versus the youth world in financial education. And um, there are a number of differences between how we would approach financial education with youth or with adults. Um, and so it's, even if you don't do a lot of work with youth, it is, it's, I think, useful and helpful to understand the youth financial education world because it helps us sort of put into context the work that we do with adults and, um, and, and how that work might fit in over the life course. Um, I should say that the, my interest in this, other than um, hearing from you all, is this of interest to you, but it's also something I've been um, getting more up to speed on in the last year or so because of some work in Eau Claire with the Eau Claire school system um, where they are delivering, the teachers in Eau Claire are delivering financial education for fourth and fifth graders. Um, just five hours, so it's just a couple of modules. But it's helped me to get um, my mind a little bit more around how youth learn about financial education and what might be appropriate in terms of how we think about that kind of work. So the project there is actually in the field now where teachers are doing financial education, sort of randomly assigned classrooms, some to get the education and some won't get it until later. So we have a control group to be able to compare. Um, and what's important about that is that we don't have a lot of examples of that kind of study. Um, so much of what I'm going to talk to you about today is going to be, um, you know, research on financial education where we really didn't have any kind of treatment or control group. We just had... Um, you know, somebody made a curricula, they delivered it, and it looks like people were happy, or it looks like students learned something. Um, but we don't really know if that changed behavior, or, or you know, uh, we don't really have the sort of definitive clinical evidence that we might otherwise like. Now, that's not dissimilar from, from adult education. We don't have great studies in the adult financial education world as well. Uh, but... It is uh, it is one of the, the problems, I think, with this field in general, is we just don't have those strong studies to really tell us what is the right or wrong way to go about these different kinds of approaches. But before I get into 
the curricula and to uh, how we think about, um, you know, in general, how we think about the, the uh, delivery of curricula. I think it's helpful to look at the literature and understand how our brains work and when it makes sense to deliver certain kinds of information. Um, so oftentimes when I've talked to educators, they say, well, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to do financial education for um, even high school students because they're not really engaged that much in finance. So most high school students probably wouldn't have a checking account, so why would we bother teaching about how to write checks? Or most high school students wouldn't be taking out life insurance policies, so why would we teach about life insurance? And I think there's, you know, some reasons to to be cautious in terms of matching topic to where people are in the life course. Um, but I also think there's a difference between what's of interest or what's, you know, immediately applicable and to what, you know, what sort of kids can understand and at what age. And it turns out that even at a relatively young age, even at ages as young as three and four, children can understand the concept of owning something, of um, something that's theirs and not someone else's, and sort of defining property and ownership of property. And by the age of six, they can understand a basic concept around savings and what a bank does, which is basically hold savings, um, hold it safe so that somebody else can't take it. And, you know, these aren't, these aren't, um, relatively, uh, sophisticated topics, but they're probably a good starting point for a lot of financial education. And so, you know, even as, so with six-year-olds, we're talking about first graders. Even with first graders, we can begin to do some basic financial education around topics like savings and banks. Um, as we go through the, um, you know, the elementary school grades, Generally, students can understand um, most topics related to basic financial management. So um, what the limiting factor tends to be really how much math can they do. Um, <coughs> so by that I mean can they do basic addition, um, can they do subtraction, can they do division, um, those kinds of things. So it's, it really is more tied to their progress through the math, the arithmetic curriculum, than any specific uh, cognitive or, or other issue. The big issue that um, we confront with youth is how well can they think about the future? And it turns out that things like making goals and developing a budget are things that you can begin to teach in by age 9 and 10. Um, kids can start to have a sense of the future and can begin to plan out for not just days in advance, but weeks and even months in advance to start to think about long-term things um, and even start to develop goals and budgets. Um, so by age 12, there is some research that suggests that goals and budgets can even be um, something that's applicable. Um, after age 12, really we feel like most financial concepts can be taught. I mean, it's, it, there's sort of a spectrum from age 6 to 12 as mathematical skills gain um, the big, you know, stepping forward point is being able to understand goals and, and future orientation. Um, but after that happens, most of the tools, cognitive tools, are in place. Um, so the, you know, in general, I would say the research suggests that at preschool ages, it's it's pretty limited in what you can start to teach about. I mean, it's mostly things about ownership and um, conservation is the way that that many um, 
curriculums are set up is you know thinking about um, how uh, um, how kids can conserve resources. So recycling is something they can get at a preschool age. Turning off the lights, turning off the water. Those are all topics that are applicable as well to savings and those kinds of things. So um, I think that that's where that begins. And by age six, you know, this idea of savings, property, um, basic banking, and then by age 12, sort of goals and, and future orientation. Um, a key thing that I know a lot of people have talked to me about is how does the parent play a role with with students um, or with, with kids and how they think about money. And it's very hard to say. So there's many studies that show that kids, um, knowledge about finances is highly correlated with their parents' knowledge about finances. Um, it's also true that you have kids who are in households with, with very low financial literacy where parents make lots of, you know, quote-unquote mistakes. Yet, um, <laughs> they, they, the kids themselves sort of say, well, I don't want to be like that, and then they you know, learn on their own. On the other hand, we have students who are in... Um, families that are relatively economically well-off um, who don't have to think about these kinds of things and then when they get on their own um, have never thought about these kinds of things and get themselves into trouble. So it's a, um, you know, it's, it's a, uh, it, it can go both ways. This is, for research, it's very hard to know um, what the role of parents is and, and what the appropriate thing for parents is to do, but there's there's no research that shows that parents Talking to kids about money is a bad thing. Um, there's no research that suggests that, um, you know, some basic activities like taking kids to banks, um, engaging them in conversations about budgeting. I mean, those are all good things for parents and kids to engage in with each other. Um, there is some evidence that perhaps allowances are a good uh, financial capability building activity. Um, although... We don't really have any case where we randomly assign students to get allowances. What we have mostly are students who self-report or parents who self-report offering allowances. And what we know is that um, the parents who offer allowances oftentimes are the more financially savvy anyway. So it's really kind of hard to, to break these things apart and know whether allowances are, are a good thing or a bad thing. My personal point of view is that allowances are a pretty good thing. Um, you know, it encourages kids to um, think about money over time and potentially about savings that allowance and rather than buying, you know, a small thing every week, deferring several weeks to be able to buy something bigger and to get that sort of what, what happens from the what's, the, what's the value of delay. Um, so, you know, I, th I think an allowance can be part of it. I don't think that the amount of the allowance is that critical. Um, it's more a matter of um, being able to um, have kids start to you know, sort of play around with money. And, and I think one thing that's true is a physical allowance probably is better than a, you know, an, an a, a uh, you know, I'm putting money in your account for you <laughs> allowance. Um, there's a little bit of uh, research on um, kids' accounts, accounts, savings accounts for kids, um, which suggests that might be uh, an important way to get kids thinking about both banking and uh, for sort of future orientation. Um some of the studies that have been done have been around education accounts, so specifically 529s for college education. And generally, those are more powerful for middle school kids in, in the literature there, which suggests that what happens is for parents who 
set up college accounts for their kids. Their kids start to think about college as something that they can feasibly attain. And so it begins to get their expectations as, well, I am going to college, and I am going to have the resources to do it, or at least some of the resources to do it. Um, so it, it, begun, it begins to orient their thinking around that. Um, it's not so much a financial uh, uh, outcome, but more of a, of a orientation around around the future, around education goals, those kinds of things. Um, so again, it's it's uh, it's a spotty literature, but you know certainly there there's um, nothing to suggest that working with parents and kids in combination is any less effective than um, working with kids alone. And potentially, of course, we have the opportunity to both encourage the uh, the adult, the parent to gain skills and knowledge at the same time as, as the kids do. So that, that can be an important thing as well. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about a handful of curricula, but I first want to talk a little bit about Jumpstart, which many of you may know. Um, Jumpstart has coalitions in every state. Wisconsin has a Jumpstart coalition, and then some localities have Jumpstart coalitions as well. But they're really designed to promote K-12 personal finance education. Their website is jumpstart.org. And they think about a core set of um, content areas or competencies that ought to be taught um, in, in the Jumpstart model in schools, or if not in schools, um, in other avenues that kids in K-12 through can, can pick up on. Um, so a key focus of Jumpstart has always been around uh, money and money management. So the topics you'll see listed here are things like um, money and asset management, about banking, um, investment, how to use credit, credit cards, loans, um, taxes, you know, how taxes are collected and what they're used for. The time value of money, which is essentially is that if you borrow, you're going to pay back more, and if you save, you're going to get back more. Um, and the longer time is involved, the more it's going to compound. And the whole idea of compounding, um, earning interest on interest or paying interest on interest. Um, are, are key concepts there. Another topic they talk about is, is insurance and how insurance works and that there are these random events that happen to people that we want to pool together and um, try to uh, deal with that risk in a insurance pool, so auto insurance or life insurance or home insurance, property insurance, that kind of thing. Um, and then finally, a, a set of content around financial planning, which is really thinking about the about goals and making product choices, financial product choices in the context of those goals, and then evaluating what kinds of uh, products and what kinds of um, choices to make in terms of um, various financial products and, and decisions over the life course. Um, there are a number of curricula that meet the Jumpstart Coalition uh, standards, um, and there are I think in this particular brief, there's maybe 12 listed. There are probably more. Um, and, you know, I really just tried to capture the ones that I think are frequently used and discussed. Um, in no way would I suggest that one is better than the others. They're all sort of different, and they're designed for different purposes. They cover different topics. Some are designed to be um, really um, self taught or, you know, driven through, um, you know, non-curricular activities. Others are designed to be 
driven through the um, the main school you know classroom courses. Um, of the ones that are listed here, five go as young as kindergarten, and three are more focused on high school, and then the rest are sort of somewhere in between, including some that are K through 12, um, which is obviously a challenge given <laughs> the range of uh, of cognitive abilities across those age groups. Um, some of these I've worked with directly, others I've just reviewed, um, but I think what's important to understand is that none of these have really been rigorously evaluated in in any uh, sort of experimental way. Many of them have um, been used with pre-post tests, so students take a test before and after, and, you know, we see whether their scores went up. We don't know if their scores would have gone up in the absence of the education, but we know that, at the very least, those who got the course, their score went up. Um, other studies have tried to follow up with kids at, at longer intervals, um, and a few have even looked at um, some behaviors. But it's challenging, and the, and the challenges are uh, doing research in this area are many. One is that um, because these are mostly students, you have to have parental consent, and getting parents to consent to have their students, their their kids, engaged in a research study oftentimes is is very hard to do. Um, you know, even uh, students who are well-meaning uh, <laughs> just may not see the, the the consent. They may not it may not float across them at a, at a point in time when they can really send it in and, and do something about it. Um, and because kids are generally considered to be vulnerable and, and from a research standpoint, we can't really use any data on any kids who who don't have that parental consent. So that's an issue. Um, the second is that it's very hard to do any kind of random assignment in schools at the at the uh, level of a student because kids are in classrooms, they interact with each other. It's very hard for individual students to get a, a course and not others. Um, and, you know, usually if you do any kind of random assignment at all, it's at the teacher or at the classroom level. So then you look for effects across the whole classroom as opposed to individual kids. Um, another problem is is that it's hard to track kids. I mean, it, it, it seems sort of counterintuitive. I mean, kids are in, in the school system. They sort of plot along, and you should be able to track them down. But there's quite a bit of churning, you know, from, say, age 10 to age 18 through a school system. And if you wanted to see if financial choices made by kids when they're 18 are different based on a set of curricula that kids got when they were 10 years old, you're probably going to lose all those kids, and it's going to be very expensive to find them in the first place. So, um, you know, this this research is is challenging, <laughs> uh, to say the least. No, certainly the research that has been out there, particularly this pre-post kind of um, methodology, does suggest that these curricula do convey information that the students pick up on, and they tend to answer at least factual knowledge questions at a higher percentage correct rate after receiving the um, the course than before. Um, so there is some transfer of knowledge going on. Um, so generally what these are are sort of financial literacy questions, things like, um, you know, for older kids it might involve some math, for younger kids it might be more definitional or vocabulary based. Um, but, you know, basically uh, topics around banking, around budgeting, around uh, managing money, 
and around various financial products. Um, the research at the um, middle school, at the, I'm sorry, at the elementary and the middle school level um, has both been, uh, what, what again, what limited research has been out there, has both been positive in terms of test scores or pre-post tests um, that have happened with kids at these um, various ages. At the high school level, there has been um, fewer studies sort of using the pre-post, um, but there has been some work where we looked, we've, we've looked at students who are in states that have more rigorous financial requirements. So some states require financial education at the high school level, and some states have phased those in over time. So we can compare kids within states before and after a financial mandate goes in, financial education mandate goes in, as well as to other states that don't have that financial mandate or have a weaker financial mandate. And using that methodology, it does appear that the high school financial education mandates um, are associated with students who have greater financial literacy and even some improved behavior as adults, things like savings. Um, although those those findings are uh, disputed, I would say. There's sort of a, a whole set of studies that look at these changes in state policies over time. And it's hard because we only have 50 states and we only have so many of these policy changes and there are lots of other things that could affect whether, you know, the kids of a state, um, you know, exhibit better or worse behavior over time, including, you know, the, the economy in which they, <laughs> which they, you know, graduated from high school or college and those kinds of things. Um, so it's, it's an encouraging set of studies on the high school level, but certainly nothing that's, that's definitive. Um, that said, more and more states are going to mandates around financial education and particularly integrating financial education into either social studies or math. And so there there does seem to be an implicit belief among educators that there is some value to doing this. The challenge, of course, and this is work that um, Cardin Holden and, and Wendy Way here at Wisconsin have done, is that a lot of teachers aren't really prepared to deliver the content, and so they're not comfortable with the content. Um, and, you know, oftentimes it involves changing the way that they're teaching what they're doing now, and um, so as a result, this tends to be um, the, the kinds of uh, educational topics that, that get sort of put on the back burner. And so even in states with more rigorous um, mandates, we don't see a whole lot of, uh, you know, we, we find a few teachers who strongly embrace it, and then a few teachers who strongly uh, re rejected, and then a lot who are in the middle who sort of do their best, given the other constraints that they have. Um, so certainly there's a lot of need for support for teachers to gain skills and confidence into, you know, frankly, what's an already pretty crowded curriculum, um, to think about how they uh, how they can in, in include all this into their, into their uh, current uh, studies and activities. Um, so that's just a basic overview of the literature. I'll talk a little bit about financial capability at the end, but I want to pause before I start digging into this curriculum and see if anybody has any comments or questions. Okay, and uh, most of these studies I've talked about are listed in the, in the briefs. You can track those down using Google Scholar pretty easily. Um, all right, so I'm going to start going through these curricula, which are, uh, again, this is not meant to be a head-to-head comparison, but just to give you some sense of different curricula and what's out there. Um, the first one that's listed here is called Banking on Our Future. Um, this is a, um, a banking-focused 
uh, curriculum that's designed for grades 4 through 12, so pretty broad range. It has five modules, and it doesn't include, it does include a post-test, uh, sort of, you know, which could be used as a pre-post-test, um, that, um, can help a teacher or a school try to figure out the impact of the program. Um, it was designed by Operation Hope, which is a program started by a guy named John Bryant out in Los Angeles. John, John Bryant used to be on Oprah a lot, so if you're an Oprah fan, you may know who he is, but he's a very dynamic um, uh, leader in the financial education field who's really tried to, to um, stress how important it is for financial education and financial literacy to be offered um, really across socioeconomic um, classes and, and to in particularly in schools and, and more under-resourced schools particularly. Um, the curriculum itself is um, it's nice in that it is, it is focused on banking, but it's not promoting any one particular bank. So you'll see in some of these other curriculum, they're created by a financial institution, which is fine. But oftentimes that includes some subtle or not so subtle uh, promotion of a particular financial institution, um, which you could easily eliminate if you were teaching it, but still the curriculum itself has that influence, whereas this one doesn't, and it, it is focused mostly on, um, on uh, you know, the basic um, um, financial education for um, the, um, the 4 to 12, 4th grade to 12th grade um, uh, groups. Um, the website for this actually has a um, online component, so it's something that um, students can sign in. They get they get a registered password, and teachers can do the same thing. And so it's a, a really designed to be a um, self-paced kind of a program, where the student or and can work with a mentor to sort of go through each each section of the course. It has lots of videos and interactive components. Um, so it's not really um, um, designed to be a, um, you know, in-class paper and pencil kind of curriculum, but more of an of a interactive web-based kind of materials. So does anybody have any experience with, with uh, banking on our future? It's worth checking out. It's a website, I and mean, you'll have to sign up on the website, but it's not, um, there's no fee, so it's, it's relatively easy to do. Um, so the next next uh, uh, curriculum to talk a little bit about is um, the National Credit Union Foundation called BizKids. And BizKids is, um, so the National Credit Union Foundation is an association of all the credit unions, and it's a foundation that they've set up to do charitable giving uh, across credit unions. Um, I mean, obviously, they have some interest in promoting credit unions, <laughs> so there is there is that, but not any one particular credit union, just more the credit union community and community in general. Um, the Biz Kids is um, something that is on TV with PBS, um, so it goes on public broadcasting. Um, it's been around four or five years, and they have um, a set of these sort of starter kits or box sets that, that students can work with um, as they go through the episodes. I think there's around 60 or 65 episodes. Um, so it's it's something that airs um, 
in Wisconsin. Um, I don't, I haven't checked recently, but I know I've seen it on Wisconsin Public Television in the past. Um, but also, you can get the, um, you can get as a as edu- educator, you can get them and, and play them on demand um, with a, a whatever DVD uh, kind of setup. Um, <coughs> they do have a website, the BizKids website, that has um, companion materials for both teachers and parents. And um, they've also done a newsletter um, that kids can can subscribe to. Um, the focus is really on promoting entrepreneurship in small businesses, but it, it essentially teaches the basics of personal finance. Um, it's designed to be something that can be promoted with a local financial institution, so oftentimes it will be um, sponsored in combination with a local credit union to promote um, to promote the uh, uh, I mean essentially it would be a set of um, lessons that would be listened to or watched on TV in combination with the support materials supported by um, a local credit union typically would be the kind of model um, it's designed for ages 9 through 16 so it's sort of middle school and a little bit of high school younger high school um, the design is that, that uh, an educator would pick selected topics so they'd watch certain episodes and, and use the companion materials with them. Uh, any experiences out there with these kids? It's pretty good production value, for too, so it's uh, you know nicely done. Um, then there's the city groups, their financial education curriculum. Um, it's four lessons for ages K through 12. Um, it is obviously divided, designed by Citigroup, um, but it's not about banking. So, you know, I think if you have concerns about, um, you know, them promoting Citigroup, it's, it's, there's not a lot in here that, because most of the topics that they designed, so they divide into two different groups, the K through two and then the ages three to five. And most of it is around um, what is money and how do you do a basic budget? What are wants and needs? And then, you know, how do you set goals and how do you keep track of your money? There's one lesson in here that's around um, a savings account, but it's very general. Um, they do have some interaction, interactive lessons online, um, and they have a set of support materials for educators. Um, so they actually have... Um, you know, sort of activities spelled out and that talks about here's what you do as the educator, here's here's some follow-up questions to ask, here's the learning objectives, that kind of thing. So it's, it's nice support materials. Um, and then they have lesson plans as well. Um, so you can see on the website, by the way, all these links that I'm talking about here are actually, um, the, the blue underscores are links that take you right to the websites for these materials. Uh, and what's also nice is they do connect to some books that could be read with kids and some other activities. So um, it's it's really well thought out and um, at least um, provides some nice materials, particularly for those younger age groups, um, that, that could be useful. Any experiences with this curriculum? So the next is... Um, it's not so much a curriculum. It's, so the Council for Economic Education is a um, affinity group among people, educators, among teachers, um, K through 12 teachers. Although I think it's probably more oriented towards middle school and high school teachers in general. 
um, who want to teach economics or who do teach economics at the high school level. Um, they have a lot of support from the Federal Reserve and from some other entities that that help promote materials and curriculum to teach economics, really economics. So um, the focus is economics more than personal finance specifically, although obviously there's some overlap between the two. Um, so they have collected a number of different lessons, lesson plans um, for K through 12. And it's called the Econ Ed Link. And it's econedlink.org is the website. And you can see that there's there's uh, lessons for grades 3 to 5, 6 to 8, um, different age groups. Um, and it's pretty well organized. So you can sort of click through and find, and under the educator section, different lessons that are available. Um, they have a bit of a search function, so you can actually go search for resources up in the corner um, and find lots of information about um, you know, uh, curricula or um, activities that have been used in the past um, for teaching economics. A lot of this material is not specific to personal finance. So, um, you know, it's, it, there's pieces in here around um, understanding how the debt ceiling debate is happening. That's sort of on their webpage right now. There's a lot in here about understanding macroeconomic conditions and, and that kind of thing. So, you sort of have to pick and choose. But there's a lot of resources in here. I don't know the exact number, but there's probably hundreds of different um, educator resources that are available on the website. Um, so it's um, you know not specifically a curriculum as much as a set of, of um, teacher-developed uh, and um, Campus for Economic Education-developed materials on a number of different topics that you can you can pick and choose from. Um, the next curriculum is also by the Council for Economic Education, but it really is a curriculum. It's called Financial Fitness for Life. It's a 15-lesson curriculum. Um, it's one that I've just recently become more familiar with because it's what they're using in Eau Claire. They're using parts of it in Eau Claire. Um, it's designed for different age groups. So they sort of broken it down into different age groups. And for each age group, there's a student workbook. And there's a teacher guide and there's a parent guide, um, particularly for the K to 5 and 6 to 12. So um, it's pretty well designed. I mean, it's sort of old school in that it is paper and pencil. You know, here's a, a um, here's a curriculum. Here's the materials to support the curriculum. Um, uh, it has assessment materials that are involved with it. Um, the teacher resources are, are really good. I mean, it sort of spells out minute by minute how long each each um, educational component will take and, and how it works. The you know the drawback to it is that um, you're supposed to purchase the materials and that can get pricey. Although you obviously only need to buy one of the teacher materials and you know I think as you look around their their website they'll say that it's okay to duplicate some of these materials. So. I know I I have known teachers who would buy one copy and then make copies of the materials. And in other cases, you don't actually need to have handouts for everything. You can do the lesson without having paper involved. So um, I think that's something that that can be uh, managed. The other nice things about financial fitness for life is that it does have this assessment. The assessment questions that have been used in the past um, in other studies. And they're tailored for sort of the reading level um, of of the content area. 
Um, so it, it has potentially has some use if you want to try to do some evaluation of your work. Has anybody had experience with this one, Financial Fitness for Life? Uh, Michael, this is Linda in Douglas County. Um, you and I have corresponded about curriculums, and, and this is one that you had recommended. I will be using this over the next few weeks or bits and pieces from it, so I'm really excited about um, just the various parts that are laid out in there and how we can use it. What, one quick question I have about the assessment piece is, and this may apply across the board to many of these curriculums that you're talking about, but are the assessment pieces items that can be used as a pre-post test, or do you not recommend that? Um, so generally they are, um, some of them are explicit about here's a pre and here's a post, but generally they just give you one, and then it's your decision if you want to do it pre-post or just do it at the end. Okay. Um, I think if you don't have a control group, then you, you sort of have to do the pre-post. Um, if, you, if, you, if you could, let's say, for example, and you're going to run these lessons for one class and then there's another class who's not getting it, if you could do the same assessment for both groups, then you could see if one group's different from the other and sort of look for effects that way. That's a great idea. I hadn't thought about that. There's another school that's interested in, in us working with them, and, and we won't be able to this year, but because she's interested, I could use them as a control group this year. There you go. That's a great idea. And then you could, um, when you get to them next year and do the course there, yep. they can do the post, and then you have a pre you know, so you Yeah, can, that's a great idea. You can do it that way. Thank uh, you. Yeah, I, you know, I think the whole pre-post issue is challenging because, I, I mean, talking to teachers, students do a lot of testing. And, you know, to double the amount of, when you pre-post, you're doubling the number of questions you're going to ask. So um, I'm sympathetic to just doing post, but then having some other group as a comparison group. Thank you. All right. Um, the next curriculum is called Financing Your Future, also um, related to the Council for Economic Education. You'll see them a lot. It's high school focused. It's a set of videos, five videos, um, designed really for high school teachers to be able to just, you know, they have a set class period and they can play these videos and there's a test they can use and then there's also some useful information um, through the website that they can go on to. to. Um, this is um, 15 lessons that are essentially taught over the five videos. The DVD is something that is sold. Um, it's not cheap. It's $80. But obviously the idea is that it would be used over and over again. So the cost per, per, uh, uh, whatever, per, per years is lessened the more you can continue to run it over time. Um, there is a, um, online there's a table of contents you can see. Um, you know, but it's, it really focuses on, I guess, setting goals and having a financial plan. Uh, and, you know, thinking about needs and wants, thinking about investing in yourself in things like education and job skills. Um, a bit around banking, and, you know, the, it's pro-banking. Obviously, it's co-supported by Citibank, so, um, but it covers different financial instruments, um, how to use credit, um, how to create a financial plan, and how to think about risks in return. So it's basic financial management, not necessarily investment. There are some um, companion materials on the website that they have. They have sort of a set of resources, um, you know, workshop flyers you could use to promote the class, um, agendas, PowerPoints that can be used, 
um, you know, they're they're actually in PowerPoint format, so you could you could tailor them to be specific to something that you were doing. Um, I have not watched all the videos, but I do. I am intrigued by this concept because it is designed to be sort of plug in and play. Um, you know, and you know, you can imagine where this could be not necessarily in a classroom session, but it could be you know a group of um, students that are in extracurricular activities or even 4-H where you know you do some you watch some of the video you do some presentation and then you do some activity over the course of a few weeks um, so it seems like it might have some applicability as well anybody have any experience with this one I, I like the I like when when these curricula try to involve different teaching methods so it's I'm, I'm intrigued by this one with the video uh, combined with uh, sort of in-person as well. Um, so the next one is called More Than Money. It's for grades 3 through 5, the sixth lesson curriculum. Um, it's designed by Junior Achievement, which you probably know Junior Achievement does a lot of financial education in schools. Historically, their their focus has been on entrepreneurship and small businesses. Um, but, in, you know, increasingly they're working on um, general financial education and, and promoting financial education um, more broadly. Um, the more than money curriculum is one I know that it, I've I've talked to some people in in Wisconsin who are in, in schools where it's being taught generally by volunteers. Sometimes it's being taught um, by local business people as an extracurricular, and sometimes it's being taught in combination with um, with a teacher. Um, the focus on um, I mean, there's just a handful of sessions. There's um, I think five or six sessions uh, total. Um, the focus on them is, is really on banking, um, a sense of, uh, they call it a sense of worth, but, you know, sort of the idea of a work ethic and self-employment, entrepreneurship, basically. Um, and then a bit around, you know, that you can start a small business, goal setting around uh, starting a small business. Um, so that tends to be the, the sort of focus is on, you know, what, what would it take to, to be an entrepreneur and encourage entrepreneurship. Any experience with that one? One of the more common ones out there, but I I haven't personally uh, had much interaction with it. Um, okay, so the next one is started by one of the Jumpstart Coalitions. So this is the Jumpstart Coalition in St. Louis. Um, St. Louis, by the way, is a hotbed of financial uh, capability work <laughs> between the University of St. Louis and Washington University. There's a lot going on. Uh, there uh, in, in this space in terms of centers and, and work on asset building and savings. Um, but Money Math is designed for age, uh, sorry, grade 7 through 9, so middle school. It's four lessons, um, really focused on um, sort of mathematical concepts and mathematical applications in the, um, the financial education area. It is... Um, and, you know, I think the idea is that it acknowledges that one of the places that financial education can be taught is in math classes. And so the idea is that these could augment or support um, financial education, uh, augment or support existing classes. Um, the topics are, you know, basic savings, how interest works, including some mathematical comparison, mathematical calculations of, of compound interest, um, basic budgeting, taxes, um, thinking about returns to investment in, in self, things like education and, and how that might earn you more money over time, that kind of thing. Um, any experiences with that one? 
That was a pretty specific one that ended up aimed for us, but, uh, teachers in a, in a discipline. Um, the next one is Money Savvy, which is, uh, designed to be K through 10, so it's a large set of, of, uh, age groups. Um, the way they deal with that is they have the sort of, um, you know, variations in how many lessons you would take on. So between four to eight lessons, depending on the age of the kid. Um, they're, um, you know, the basic curriculum for the youngest kids is around money and work and investing in education. What's a little bit nice about this is, well, first it, it was developing in combination with the Council of Math Teachers. So it has a sort of math component and the idea, again, it can be integrated into a math course. Um, it has a specific um, focus on charity and philanthropy, which so, you know, the idea that you would budget to give money away or donating your time, um, I think that's a nice aspect of this that we don't see in a lot of other financial curriculum and, um, you know, probably is a nice a nice component to have in this. Um, it's definitely designed to be um, easy to use. Um, the, you know, the curriculum are... Um, for the, the K through uh, first grade, it's only an hour and a half in length, and so the lesson plans are all available, and those kinds of things are, are pretty easy to use. Um, as the kids get a little bit older, they focus on things like budgeting and savings, um, spending, and then finally the grades four and five, they get into credit, credit cards, risk and insurance, investing in taxes. So um, they cover a broad, a broad set of materials. They have a Money Savvy U. Um, website, uh, sort of takes things to the next level after the elementary age. Um, but they, you know, again, they have some support on their website. They do sell the, um, you know, the, the material and the books. Um, I don't, I don't remember the cost of them. It's not outrageous, but it's, uh, basically you're buying a kit of, of, um, instructor materials, which is, I think a couple hundred dollars, and then the workbooks. So it's similar to some of the other models we've looked at. Um, it's, uh, you know, I think it's pretty similar to some of the other curricula that we've looked at. Um, you know, the, the main difference would be that it's in terms of pen and pencil sort of curricula, and that it has this focus on um, philanthropy and, and charity that we haven't seen in some of the other curricula. Um, the next one is Money Smart for Young Adults. So Money Smart we've talked about before, which is an adult curriculum. They have a, a young adult curriculum. Um, these are 90-minute modules. There's eight of them. They say it's designed for age 12 through 20, so um, basically high school and older age. Um, Money Smart, as you as you know, is a, is a very well-designed uh, curriculum in multiple languages that can be used with adults to teach financial education. Um, the young adult version is very similar. Um, it includes banking, borrowing, um, checking, um, using a, a credit card, setting financial goals, paying for cars and college, basically taking out loans, um, savings, and then making decisions about apartments and mortgages. So it's really just a, um, a mini version of Money Smart. Um, it's all free. It's got nice support on their website. They, they do a, the FTSC does a lot of support for the curriculum. They do have a CD, which you can order with all the materials on it. I'm pretty sure it's free or pretty close to free. Um, so, you know, most of these materials are very accessible. 
And the downside to, I think, all the FDIC materials is it's very focused on financial products and institutions, which makes sense because that's who the FDIC is. Um, but it's, you know, it's, it's not, it's not going to give you a lot on things like charity or, you know, financial planning and those kinds of topics, which you might see in, in some of the other curriculum. But definitely uh, well vetted and, and well designed. Um, so we're getting close, just two more to go. So the next one uh, is one that I know people are familiar with, which is the NEFI High School um, Financial Planning Program. Um, and it's been around for a number of years, including here in Wisconsin. It has seven units. It's designed for high school, so age, grades 9 to 12. Um, it includes topics of um, savings and investing and thinking about careers and, and future choices. Um, it is... A, you know, it's more traditional kind of uh, workbook, um, you know, so basically each student gets their um, booklet and then there's an instructor's manual and they sort of go through it um, piece by piece. There are a number of support materials that are available um, through their website. Um, it's designed to be um, something that can be integrated into an existing social studies course or um, a consumer science or even um, to some extent a math course. Um, it's probably one of the most widely used high school curriculum that are out there. Um, and there's a lot of support, like I said before, a lot of support uh, materials available um, through the through the website. This is something, again, that's been sponsored with CUNA, um, the Credit Union National Association. Um, so there are many, many cases there being supported with um, support of a credit union, um, and, you know, and sometimes even some of the content might be taught by a volunteer from a, from a credit union as well. Any comments on the the NEFI curricula? Michael, this is Ruth, and I could comment quickly on that. I actually got a call from a credit union this morning. I'm the state contact for NEFI. So occasionally, very occasionally, I do get a call from a credit union or somebody who's interested in the curriculum. And uh, this particular person said they try to promote it every year with the schools in their area, but they really don't know if any of the schools actually pick it up. They usually don't get a name. So I'm going to do some a little bit of um, digging for her. But she thinks it's a great curriculum, and they would love to be more engaged with the with the schools in their area, in their service area, if they could just figure out who those were. So if you have got questions on what school districts might be using the curriculum or um, if you want to offer your services, you can let me know what the school districts are in your county, and I can look those up and see if they're on the list or not. I get an update from NEFI about every six months. And you, Ruth, you're the Wisconsin coordinator for NEFI, right? I would call myself the contact. The contact. <laughs> I know you had some official title. It's, yeah, it's an official title. <laughs> Um, so the last the last piece here is uh, last curricula is the practical money skills for life um, designed at the University of Kentucky with support from Visa. Um, it's four lessons that are designed to be integrated into other courses. That's a, a theme um, we see a lot now that that schools are unable to really do a standalone financial education course. So instead they are integrating them into other courses, which I think is a, is a fine fine solution. I mean. As long as it gets taught, I'm not concerned about where it gets taught. Um, and so they have a website that supports their materials. Um, you know, it's a set of uh, resources for um, educators, including lesson plans uh, by different age groups, for everything from young children to teens. 
Um, there's some games, videos, and other resources that are available. Um, their um, curriculum are, you know, focused a lot on credit and debt, um, which might be some of the influence of Visa there, including credit cards and, and how they work, as well as savings and budgeting. Uh, and, um, you know, I think there's a lot of uh, useful resources on the website that support uh, the materials in general. Um, I, I, uh, let's see. It says that there's a an assessment, um, but I'm not putting my fingers on it at the moment. But I, my guess is that with the University of Kentucky involved, it did have a, an assessment that would be um, something that could be used um, by the teacher um, as you know who is in, when it's integrated into the into the math or the reading time um, that might be there. But it's a broad set of of, uh, of curricular topics. All right, any questions on any of those, or before I wrap up? Yeah, Michael, I'm trying to get into the money math, the one from Missouri, and it's being blocked uh, for some reason be, uh, because it's not a trusted site. Oh, okay. So I don't know. Maybe you can check up on that link. Yeah, yeah. Missouri is not trustworthy. See what <laughs> I can find out. Yeah, that's funny. Um, yeah, I'll post something on the website with a direct link maybe or, or some other way to get there. Thanks for that. So I'll just close with, um, as a result of sort of jumping into this field and, and doing some work now up in Eau Claire and thinking about the research community in this area, it does seem like there's been a shift from um, making sure that kids get exposed to a class, which may have them do a little bit of mathematical calculations and define some terms, to a broader um, I think a broader understanding of financial capability as opposed to financial knowledge. And by financial capability, it's more around how do they use the knowledge to actually engage in financial practices. And so, um, you know, the example of the work we're doing in Eau Claire now, it's, it's not just a f using the um, Financial Fitness for Life curriculum, or actually just using two, of, two or three of the modules from it. It's that integrated with the availability of a savings account in the school. So there's actually a bank branch in the school or a credit union branch in the school. And, you know, does the combination of the class plus access to a savings account change behavior? And, you know, that's, I think, where a lot of the focus now is on, is, is thinking about, um, you know, a combination of information transfer with products and with, um, uh, activities which really might help build habits or really help shape um, goals and shape um, attitudes about money over time. Uh, so that seems to be, a, a, I, mean, I think, a real focus of where things are headed, um, you know, as opposed to just, um, just you know, do kids learn? Uh, we hope kids learn. Um, the next question is, does that learning actually benefit them in terms of, of their financial outcomes? And I think that's that's an interesting way to go as well. Um, obviously, there's an emphasis on integrating um, curriculum into existing curriculum just because of the, the demands on, you know, the limited amount of, of school time and um, the increasing amount of demands that are on teachers and the testing and everything else that's going on in schools. And, you know, generally reducing resources as well. Um, so using volunteers and using other ways to get um, topics is important. Um, you know, I think the, the last thing I'll say is I think 
I, I do think financial education reads is very important. It's um, necessary but not sufficient in that we you know, always have to keep learning about financial topics over our life course. And you know, I always use the examples if if in the 1950s you taught a course on financial education, you probably would not have taught about adjustable rate mortgages with option arms and you know all kinds of things that might have been really important to understand by the 1980s or 1990s. Um, so you know, we have to really think about. Um, not just giving kids a good foundation for understanding financial concepts, but also building their ability to um, gather and, and synthesize financial information over their entire life so that they're always up to speed on what they need to be doing at each point in their life and as products and, and circumstances change over time. Anything else? Well, I appreciate you all um, bearing with my raspy voice today, <laughs> but uh, hopefully there's some uh, useful useful nuggets in here. And uh, as always, if you have ideas on this or any other brief, um, let me know, and we can get them posted on the website. Um, our next um, session is going to be in May, and we're going to be doing the – so May is, as you know, the, we alternate months. So the lunchtime learning is one month, and then the next month is the building buck. So – May is going to be our our, uh, our building buck session, and um, we'll send out some information on that in advance. Um, and then we'll get back to lunchtime learning again in June, right? And um, I'm going to talk a little bit about measurement issues. Um, but the um, the next the building box is going to be May 14th, and that's going to be on savings and investing. And then our um, next lunchtime learning will be on June 11th, and that's going to be on financial measurement, uh, actually different uh, ways that you could measure financial capability. So thanks, everybody, and have a great week.